All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for giving us this day to be grateful for, and for making today a reality by means of your sending your only begotten Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to the cross to die for our sins. Thank you, Father, for giving us the spiritual insight and the ability to see your abundant grace and love. While the world around us celebrates this day for all the wrong reasons, may we remain focused all the more on the simple fact that our Redeemer lives. And to we believers, that means everything. Without Jesus' first fruits, resurrection, our own, would be an unsubstantiated hope, a cause for a broken faith. But Father, He has risen, and You have assured us of this fact. For this, we are eternally grateful. We ask that You bless this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. And may it challenge each of us as we hear your calling upon our lives. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. Again, this morning's message is a special Resurrection Sunday message. Turn your Bibles, please, to Job 19.25. Job 19.25. As you prepare for this morning's lesson, I ask you to leave whatever concerns you might have about your life, about this day even, about who you might be interacting with after service uh, and moving forward. Leave all that stuff behind. Uh, You're here now. The Spirit wants you to hear this lesson. It's very important, folks. Let's begin this way. Job 19.25, as for me... I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, He will take His stand on the earth. Amen? Amen. That's it. Go home. (laughs) I know that my Redeemer lives. Contrary to contemporary belief, what most call Easter and what we affectionately call Resurrection Sunday, This day is an ancient concept that predates even the existence of mankind. And I hope all of you leave here today understanding that precious perspective. In our mainstream curriculum, we've been working through two key theological frameworks, namely, look at that old slide, Namely, salvation perspectives, which really is three tenses in view. We're not going to get into this this morning. We've gone through all of that, but the Spirit wants you to think about where we're coming from. Every special we've ever had that I can remember from this pulpit has always been intimately tied to the curriculum itself that we've been on. And this morning is no different. So think about... And don't divorce this morning's special message from all the things that he's been teaching us. We're on part 65 
of the gospel, salvation, and sanctification. Think about those three things in light of Resurrection Sunday. These things are intrinsically tied to one another. So we've been learning about salvation perspectives as well as sanctification perspectives. And there are three phases there. Now, putting aside the trees for the forest, consider what today means to this entire framework that we've been studying. Like I said, 65 hours so far on this framework. What does this morning mean to you in light of all that good work? Consider what salvation and sanctification would be without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first fruits of resurrection. Go to 1 Corinthians 15.12. 1 Corinthians 15.12. In other words, why study all that out if there was no resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15.12. Now, if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. That's the argument that Paul was dealing with. But it's an argument that helps us even this day. But if there is, suppose, in other words, for a moment, that there was no such thing as resurrection of the dead. And this is what Paul gets into. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. That would be the logical conclusion. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. We'd essentially be calling God a liar if this is not true. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. That would be the logical conclusion. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in life, this life only, we are all men, of all men, most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. In other words, God is not a liar. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Again, to summarize our thoughts so far on the table up here on the board, we have to think in terms of celebration. You know, there's an awful lot of celebration going on this day. I'm sure some of you, when you drive in, even saw maybe some little kitties doing Easter egg hunts or something like that. Or maybe the big kids beating the little kids to the eggs. But what are we celebrating? 
What's this world celebrating? What are you celebrating? What does Resurrection Sunday mean to you? What good is celebrating Easter unless the fullness of Christ's work is first understood? Furthermore, regarding our current series, why even put our faith in salvation and sanctification perspectives unless it is first rooted in Christ's death and resurrection? Otherwise, he's a liar. He's not who he said he was. God's a liar. His son, not who he said he was. What does that do to your faith? So what are we celebrating? We're celebrating our faith. Go to Romans 4.25. Romans 4.25. So resurrection has a very special place in the doctrines concerning the gospel truth of Jesus Christ. It substantiates, it vindicates. Romans 4.25 He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of, that's the Greek word dia, which means for the sake of, for the sake of our justification. To borrow from last year's resurrection special message when the Spirit took a different tack to our celebration when we studied theodicy, which is really a fancy term that says, why does God even allow evil to exist? And we concluded that at the end, when everyone is resurrected, the evil don't get away with it because God is not mocked. And God has something to say, which is why He might allow that thing, even in your life. But that was last year. But here's a principle from last year to help us this year. Resurrection addresses theodicy. And again, theodicy is why God allows evil to exist. A believer's great hope pivots on resurrection. Otherwise, what's after this? It is instrumental in their deliverance in time from the pressures of evil in this world. Without resurrection, how would God's justice be administered and fully consummated? There are two resurrections, one for believers and one for unbelievers. How would He consummate or put closure in each of those cases if there wasn't a resurrection? His resurrection is to our blessed hope. This is why with all this talk of lately of practical sanctification from the pulpit, we must cling to those things we know to be true by faith. Even in the absence of visible proof. You see, today's celebration is something we've already been celebrating, just not by name. For example, this passage has come up recently a multitude of times. Go to 1 Peter 1.6. 1 Peter 1.6. So we've already been celebrating this day. We cannot do it in the absence 
of the resurrection truth. We cannot speak of the gospel, salvation, sanctification in the absence of something so fundamental and intrinsic to those things as resurrection. Otherwise, we'd be remiss. 1 Peter 1.6 In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, in other words, being able to see your own sanctification happening before your eyes, the proof of your faith, being able to see your own sanctification happening before your own eyes. That's the proof of your faith. Being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. This past week we've been talking about how God is purifying us in sanctification. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation, the deliverance, the sanctification of your souls. So we don't necessarily see all of these things, but what does the Bible say about Faith and sight appear in the board. Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Our great hope, our faith, our love, to borrow from 1 Corinthians 13.13 13 then, is in the unseen things. While the hope peddled in this world is a function of things seen. What the Spirit's bringing out here is something He's been alluding to for weeks now. Gratitude. We ought to be celebrating always. Not just on days like this one, the way Paul did. Go to Galatians 2.20. Go to Galatians 2.20. The Spirit's had a lot to say about gratitude. But you know, it shouldn't take a day like Resurrection Sunday for us to acknowledge the things that we ought to be ever grateful for. It shouldn't take a special message. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with a celebration. Nothing wrong with a special message. But it should not take that. These kinds of messages should just be a reminder to someone who is ever grateful Why? Look at Galatians 2.20. Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Speaking of Paul, even when he was in prison, his faith didn't falter. If anything, prison was meant to sharpen his resolve, being there by the grace of God. Did we not learn that? By grace you have been predestined to suffer? God has a plan. If anything, his prison sentences sharpened his resolve. 
being there by the grace of God, as evidenced, of course, in his so-called prison epistles. He did a lot of writing in there, a lot of communicating. And, of course, right before his martyrdom, he wrote the pastoral epistles, at least 2 Timothy uh, he did, most likely, again, during his prison sentence in Rome. As a side note, in prison, if you've ever felt completely cut off from others in a figurative or possibly literal prison, you must concede that God has a plan for you during that time. So being lonely actually has its benefits. If Paul were here, he would agree. Being lonely has its benefits. So if you've ever felt like you're in prison, most of you probably figuratively, then you must concede that God has a plan for you during that time because it has its benefits. So reflect for a moment. Is it fair to say that sometimes living in this world feels like being imprisoned to a degree? I mean, I watch the news and I feel oppressed. I watch a pop culture show or some talk show and I feel completely alien. I go to the mall and people watch and I feel like I've lost touch with the masses. Now, I'm not saying any of this vision is bad. I really do want to see it all as truth, as should you. I'm just saying or sharing that I believe you all are, or what you all are experiencing as well, as He continues to sanctify you. We're set free, but in this world, we're sort of stuck in the confines of it. But here's what the Spirit is getting at. Your Redeemer lives. He purchased you. You only sense that you're in prison. But you are totally set free. Your Redeemer lives. You may feel lonely, but you are never alone. You may feel like an alien, and you are, for you are a citizen of heaven. You may even feel as though you've lost touch with others, but that's to be expected. Just consider the pristine nature of this morning's message. How many people are going to hear this message? Don't know. My guess is very few. My guess is that even some churches, as horrific as it is to say this, will actually mention the Easter Bunny. And that's disgraceful. That's highway robbery. That's a misdirection for little kids to start thinking anything but Jesus Christ from the outset. But we're not going to do that this morning. For one good reason, because the Bible says that our God is a jealous God. Go to Deuteronomy 4.24, and it says it in no uncertain terms. God's not high on the Easter bunny. Let's just put it that way. And God is not mocked. So although that 
ridiculous creatures bouncing around towns probably as I speak. God is not mocked. Deuteronomy 4.24 Deuteronomy 4.24 For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. The point is that God doesn't want you to be comfortable with the world. For they are a bunch of idolaters. He doesn't want you to be comfortable with the world. Because they're a bunch of idolaters. What do you think the Easter Bunny is to little kids? It's an idol. And if you read the surrounding passage in Deuteronomy 4, you'll see that that is exactly what Moses was referring to. He doesn't want anybody to be, or he didn't want anybody to be stuck in idolatry. Paul understood that his jealous God would use anything and everything it took to get him to carry out his plan for him. Go to 2 Timothy 2.7. So it's true, we have a jealous God, which means he doesn't want our attention focused on anything but what's appropriate on a day like today, 2 Timothy 2.7. He doesn't want you to take the so-called, let's call it the festive route, and somehow a, a special lesson like this is divorced from all the other lessons we've been learning, because it's not. It's almost more like a highlight reel, if anything. 2 Timothy 2.7 Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment, as a criminal. But the Word of God is not imprisoned. Amen? The Word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may, or they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. Unless He's a liar. And then it's back to Paul's logic. If we died with Him, we will also live with Him. With Him, if we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Paul states in 2 Timothy 2.11 that it is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. In other words, we have so much to look forward to. That's what... One of the wonderful things about understanding resurrection is we have so much to look forward to. So much that, as Paul says in Philippians 3.13, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. 
So much so. There's so much to be thankful for. Who cares about yesterday? Who cares about five minutes ago? Look forward. Keep your eyes on the things above. Colossians 3, 2. This is what it's all about. This is what Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Our Lord, our Redeemer lives, folks. He's been resurrected. And he's the first fruits, which paves the way for all of you. What a wonderful thing to understand on Resurrection Sunday. We have so much to look forward to. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. We have so much to look forward to that a good portion of our sanctification, even now, is in realizing this very fact in of itself. Think about that. Part of your sanctification is just realizing that you're going to be part of that resurrection, that Jesus Christ was the first fruit of your resurrection to eternal life forevermore. Think about that. Knowing that and abiding in that is part of your sanctification. This is what we're learning. These things become you. You become encouraged. You become full of gratitude, just like the Bible says over and over and over. Be thankful for everything. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 For that is what's pleasing to God. You want to be you want to please God? Stop trying to do everything. How about be grateful in the first place? Stop trying to do everything like a religious nut. And stop, smell the flowers, and be grateful. Today is a perfect time to do it. If our eyes are fixed on things above, Colossians 3.2, there's not even time to be anxious about the things behind us. Here's a principle from our lessons as of late on practical sanctification. Shedding fear and anxiety may be better thought of as leaving behind, quote-unquote, rather than, quote, pushing away through exertion. In other words, stop wrestling with trying to push away the old life. Just turn around and face them and say, I have so much to be grateful for, so much to look forward to. If I'm just facing in this direction, that has no more power over me. I've got my back turned to it by the very nature of me turning to Christ. Or you can be religious and wrestle the bull on this side and say, I'll be right with you, Jesus. I'll be right with you. So shedding fear and anxiety may be better thought of as leaving behind rather than pushing away through exertion. To move towards love, God is love, is to be sanctified. That person is focused on the prize in front, not the rubble behind. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, I alluded to this. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, what's all this got to do with Resurrection Sunday? Everything. Everything. The simple fact that Jesus was raised from the dead substantiates 
validates and vindicates the Word of God. In other words, Jesus was and is who He said He was and is. God the Father cannot lie, neither can Jesus, and they haven't. For our great hope rests on the veracity of God. Go to John 2.18. John 2.18. In other words, if Jesus wasn't raised as our first fruits, then we might as well throw the Bible out. Because even one instance of God, any person of the Trinity lying, would render the Bible null and void. It means he would be a liar. And then what can you trust at all? John 2.18 The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? Where are their eyes? On tangible things. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. The simple fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead means that he has the power over death. When John saw Jesus, as he wrote about in Revelation, Jesus reaffirmed these things to him, and they have been recorded for posterity's sake for you and I. Go to Revelation 1.17. Revelation 1.17. So John, obviously the writer of the Gospel of John, where we were just at, also penned Revelation, Revelation 1.17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. You see, he is not alive. Our Redeemer lives. Some additional perspective from Barnes, who's a theologian on the topic, on Revelation 1.18. He had been put to death, but he had risen from the grave. This also is given as a reason by why John should not fear. And nothing would allay his fears more than this. He now saw that he was in the presence of that Savior, who more than half a century before he had so tenderly loved when in the flesh, and whom, though now long absent, he had faithfully served, and for whose cause he was now in his, this lonely island, his faith in his resurrection had not been a delusion. He saw the very Redeemer before him who had once been laid in the tomb. John's faith could have 
only been matured all the more at this experience. And the same ought to go for each of us, as was the case with Paul. Go to Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. This morning's message is celebration. You should be encouraged. We have so much to look forward to. So much to be grateful for. Philippians 2.12. Funny because we're going... This is a Resurrection Sunday special, but a lot of these passages are the passages we've been going to in our regular curriculum. Not surprised at all. Philippians 2.12 So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. That's sanctification, my friends. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. And I believe today's celebration is just that, an opportunity to hold fast the word of life. What is the word? Go to John 1.1. Go to John 1.1. What does it mean to hold fast the word of life? Well, let's see what John has to say about this. John 1, verse 1. John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. Hold fast to what? The Word of life. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light. That's John the Baptist. So that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. That's Jesus. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that's Christ's incarnation, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is why we, quote, hold fast the word of life, to borrow from Philippians 2.16. All you have to do is read John 1.1-1.14, and you'll know why Paul wrote that. 
So up here on the board, relative to today's celebration, on this day we not only celebrate Jesus' resurrection and our own as a result, He is our first fruits, we celebrate the fact that because of His resurrection, the Word as a whole has been vindicated. His promises are true. Amen. Our Redeemer lives. We celebrate the fact that because of that, because He's not a liar, because of our justification, the Word as a whole has been vindicated. His promises are true. Our Redeemer lives. Now, before we partake in that special time, communion service, followed by some singing to the Lord, let's read one last summary passage It is the crux of this morning's message. We began this morning's lesson a little further on in the same passage, so let's bring it full circle now. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, 1. We're going to see it dovetail into some of what the Spirit has already taken us to. But we're going to read this chapter together. We're going to let the Spirit do His thing in us this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. And please think about the lessons over the course of the last few months, how much he's been pointing out, how he's been going about doing it, the things that we should be grateful for. 1 Corinthians 15.1 Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now let's connect it with where we began this morning. Go to verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. So in other words, if the dead are not raised up here on the board, then our faith is a fallacy. The issue of theodicy is vain. In other words, God doesn't do that thing for nothing. Our faith is a fallacy if the dead are not raised. Verse 15, Moreover, we are even fond, uh, found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Again, up here on the board, If the dead are not raised, then we are false witnesses who misrepresent God. Verse 16, 
For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. If the dead are not raised, up here on the board, our future salvation is a sham, and our deliverance in time, therefore, impossible. We have no reason to be secure, content, or peaceful. Verse 18, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished up here on the board. If the dead are not raised, the dead have returned to dust. Heaven is reserved for God alone. We are beset with fear of death instead of excitement. There's no resurrection to judgment. Therefore, our earthly behavior is influenced by futility. Verse 19, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. You know, if the dead are not raised up here on the board, we, my friends, are pathetic. We ought to just live for the moment instead of for eternal life. Go to 1 Corinthians 15.32. 1 Corinthians 15.32. Because there is, if there is no resurrection, God's a liar. Jesus Christ is a liar. We ought not pay attention to either of them. 1 Corinthians 15.32. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What are we doing? If there's no resurrection, we are pathetic. And we ought to just, this is what Paul's saying, we ought to just live for the moment then. Because this whole thing is a sham. But it's not a sham. Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, does live. So says the Word of God. So let's celebrate the truth. And the truth is that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of our resurrection. And I want to Close by finishing reading this wonderfully edifying chapter. Look at verse 20 now. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. That's as far as we took it earlier. But let's press on. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ's at His coming. Then comes the end, when He hands over the kingdom to God and Father, when He has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for He has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when He says, all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by, boast, by the boasting in, which, in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, 
What does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought, and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. How many people, I just thought about this, how many people are celebrating Easter that have no knowledge of God? What are we doing? What are we celebrating? We're celebrating with a bunch of what? Unbelievers? Unarguably the most important celebration of our Christian calendar? This is what we've come to? We're going to adopt, we're going to tolerate that thing? Become sober-minded. In other words, quit being intoxicated with the world. We're in it, we're not of it. We're not supposed to drink of it. We're not supposed to get drunk with the world. We're supposed to be with Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be celebrating the resurrection today. Not some egg hunt with a bunch of unbelievers, who pro- many of who profess to be Christians, but don't know the first thing about Christ. And they all flock to churches and make a big scene and put on their, you know, Sunday, 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 Sunday best with their bonnets. And I don't mean to upset anybody who wore a bonnet or anything like that. You look lovely. I was going to wear one, but I thought it might be a distraction. For real. There are some we're going to celebrate with, many of you, that are unbelievers. So you have to ask yourself, what am I actually celebrating? I need to snap out of it. I need to stop being intoxicated. Because that's a lie. And I don't want any part of it. It says the truth will set you free. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame, he says. But someone will say, verse 35, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool! That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as He wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, and another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, but it is is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's Jesus. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthly, earthy, excuse me. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, 
we, also, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Talking about the rapture. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come out about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. We don't worship a dead man. Our Redeemer lives. Ushers, come forward. Scott Grande, come forward. Scott's going to lead us in communion service.
connection implies sanctification. This is something we went over a couple weeks ago. And we talked about connecting with Jesus, uh, praying with him, opening your Bible and drinking him, consuming him. And we saw in John 6.53, Jesus said something pretty challenging. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. So in this difficult saying, we see a simple point that illustrates the deep intimacy with Christ for the one who believes in him. How much deeper intimacy can we get than to eat his flesh and drink his blood? And this is not a literal request by Jesus, but a spiritual phenomenon that happens in the heart of a person that embraces him as Lord and Savior. It's like the same thing, in other words. That's how intimate it is when someone trusts in Christ for salvation. It's like eating and drinking him and him becoming part of them. Uh, William MacDonald said on John chapter 6, The Lord Jesus was simply stating that unless we appropriate to ourselves by faith the value of his death for us on Calvary, we can never be saved. We must believe on him, receive him, trust him, And make him our very own. So as we celebrate communion today, think about this. When we receive communion, which represents his body and his blood, we are receiving him by faith into our very being. What did Jesus say in Matthew 26? He said, or it says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it. And gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup, he gave thanks. And he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. So, a person can have this dramatic intimacy with his God and Savior one way and one way only, by faith. That's the power of faith. When we trust in Christ for eternal life, this is what happens. We are him. We're united with him at that moment. He is in us, literally. When we believe in him, we are receiving him into ourselves as intimately as food goes into the body. William MacDonald also said this, Nothing could be closer or more intimate than this. When we eat literal food, we take it into our very being, and it becomes a part of us. When we accept the Lord Jesus as our Redeemer, He comes into our lives to abide, 
and we too abide and continually dwell in him. So it is then that we have his life, resurrection life. We possess it right now. He came so that we might have life and have it abundantly in this life and the next. As intimately as food we eat becomes part of our body, so intimately are we tied to the Lord's resurrection life. How exciting is that? So intimately as food becomes part of our body, I mean, just think about it for a second. When you eat food, it goes into your cells. It's with you the rest of your life. It's, it is part of your body, which we can't even fathom or explain that. But it is a reality that is so intimate, it can't be separated. And that is the believer in Jesus Christ possessing his resurrection life. And that's how great our guarantee is, by the way, for those who have trusted in his name for salvation. As intimate and unbreakable as that union is of food in the body, that's how great our guarantee is of resurrection life. Thank God. It depends on him and that work that he did in us the moment we believed. So now let's celebrate the resurrection life of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he passed on to us by his power. And grace. In Matthew 26, again it says, While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. In memory of our Lord, let's eat the bread. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. In memory of our Lord, let's drink the cup. Let's watch a video, and then we'll close in prayer.
listening to my voice today and have never trusted in Jesus Christ before, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. It's between you and the Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Father, we thank you so much for this precious time to remember your son and his life and death and resurrection from the dead. We thank you for the miracles you do in our lives, most of all for the miracle of salvation, the greatest gift possible. Please bless us and our families as we celebrate this day and help the Lord Jesus be the center of it all. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.